live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Rule for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, Drew, who's producing the show today and always, you know, the Democratic debate is coming up. You, you could be on that stage. Absolutely. And you could poll better than some of the people that are there. All right. I, I have I've created this monster because I'm getting all these texts and an email saying that story you just told about being on the airplane in the dead guy seat. You're making that up. I honest to God, believe me, that is not the story that I could make up. And I, I can't for the people who are saying, what was the airline? And I honest to God, it's out of it was the only time I flew it. It went out of business quickly afterwards. And and I, I honestly I don't remember. I, I want to say it was Capital Airlines, but I don't think that's right. So that was a, another. But it was the, the flight was Chicago to Miami and then on to San Juan. And then the return flight was San Juan to Miami to, um, to to Chicago. And we had flown it to Miami and then we took this puddle jumper from Miami to Martinique and then we're sort of coming back. And, and we had to get back. There's law school graduation. We got people that are driving to Chicago to pick us up. And yes, they, they had double booked. And, and yes, a guy had died on the plane on the way between San Juan and Miami. And, of course, then they're, they're, they don't want to freak anybody out, so they're saying he's drunk. Like I say, I've seen drunk, I've seen dead. This guy's dead. Somebody's sitting in my seat, double-booked seat. I'm arguing. They're saying, well, the next flight's not till like, tomorrow evening. And it just, it's just not going to work. I'm, just, I'm not getting off this plane. Well, they put me in the dead guy's seat. They they did. He didn't need it anymore. And I just, I swear, I don't remember the name of that. that. But I, I do, I, I remember vividly. It's like it was yesterday. I remember sitting in the seat, and it's it's a middle seat way in the back of the plane. And I remember sitting there saying, you know, if this plane goes down and I am standing in front of St. Peter, I, I'm I'm not going to be able to justify. It's kind of like the, the movies, like the old horror movies, where you're yelling, don't go into the basement. You know, and then, of course, the, the character goes into the basement and bad things happen. This is like, okay, Jeff, what more signs could we have told you that you should not have been on this flight? But um, there, there I was. Yep, this is um, honest to goodness. No, it's not Air Florida. People are calling in with suggestions on this. I just, I just, I honestly, I don't remember. Like I said, I... Capital Airlines is in the back of my mind, but that might be unfair. I because that that might might not, not be Capital, but that's that's true. I was on the plane with the dead guy. Hey, uh, this morning I wake up and I, I don't look. I don't want to beat this uh, to this issue to death, but it is kind of frustrating to me that the, the powers that be just don't appear to recognize that there is a problem. Last week, we had the, the horrible instances of – we had the accident, the collision on the freeway during the construct in the construction zone that took a couple people's lives and had the freeway closed for 12 hours or whatever. Then the day or two after that, you had the massive accident that had the freeway closed for hours. If you woke up this morning, you found in that same area – 
the same construction zone that you had the accidents yesterday, you had another collision and the accident, again, the, the area closed for several hours. I bring this up only because this has been an ongoing pattern. It just hasn't gotten a lot of attention. But I, I will tell you, as somebody who does, does a show Monday through Friday, noon to three, I, I in all honesty, I think it's two to three times a week that the show is interrupted by our traffic reporters coming in and saying, oh, we've got another problem, and it's almost always in that area. And the Department of Transportation's response has been, well, uh, the, what we're doing here, the narrow three lanes and lowering the speed to 60 miles an hour and putting that, that one concrete barrier in separating the, the travel, the northbound and southbound, you know, that, that meets our safety standards. Well, okay, maybe it technically meets the safety standards on, on paper, but, but it's not working, and it hasn't worked for a while. And I guess I'm a little bit frustrated that we continue to have this stuff, and, and nobody in authority, nobody at the DOT is willing to say anything other than, well, you know, it, it, it meets our safety protocols. I mean, maybe you have to recognize that what you're doing, even though it technically, quote-unquote, meets safety protocols on paper, it's not working in the real world. So, you know, again, what, what can you do? I understand you've got to do the construction, but candidly, I think it's very, very clear that a speed limit of 60 miles an hour in those three narrow lanes each way through that construction zone, that's too fast, especially because there's a lot of people that aren't driving 60 miles an hour. My first advice would be, number one, I would immediately lower it to 50 or 45 or something along those ways. Secondly, I would vigorously enforce it. I would have state patrol officers or whatever stationed at various points running radar. Now, I understand it's so narrow that you can't pull somebody over in that area. But what you can do is have certain radar checkpoints where they're running the radar and then they identify the car so that when they come out of that area, you could just have cars there ready to pull people over who were speeding through that. You also need to enforce the rule if trucks are supposed to be in the left lane, well then have trucks in the left lane. I mean, I guess, candidly, I think it's a bigger problem than that and I think the design is a problem right now. I think they should do other things like maybe go into two lanes instead of three, but, but what do I know about that? I do know though that speed is a huge issue and it needs to start being vigorously enforced because if it's not, somebody else is going to die in that area. And I guess it's just frustrating to me that we can all see this happening. You know, I took phone calls for an hour last week and for 20 minutes this week. Everybody who drives through there says it's a death trap. You know, there's all these different problems. Well, okay, why isn't the DOT going to wake up and start to do something as they finish the construction? When we come back, this time tomorrow, I'm not going to be broadcasting from our studios at Radio City. I am going to be down at Summerfest. There's sort of an interesting piece in the paper today which about Summerfest. I don't know that it's fair to describe it as a hit job, but it raises some interesting concerns, and one day... Before the opening of the 52nd Summerfest, I want to talk with you about some of the concerns that the paper raises. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The 52nd edition of Summerfest starts tomorrow. I'll be broadcasting live tomorrow, Thursday and Friday from Summerfest, and then next Tuesday and Wednesday as well, if you're down there during the day. And by the way, 
during the day is an absolutely great time to go to Summerfest. Sometimes people say, well, I don't like the crowds at night or something like that. Well, I mean, it's a lot less crowded during the day. You can kind of walk around, and the music, well, okay, maybe it's not going to be the national headliner band, but there's a lot of good music that's out there. I candidly, I enjoy hanging around a little bit after my show at 3 o'clock. I wander around to see some of the shows. It's it's really a good time to go. But in any event, if you're down there during the day, stop off and say hello. Big story in the Journal Sentinel today, headline Summerfest after a low attendance year continues its big bet on the Milwaukee Music Festival's future. Let me summarize the article. Uh, a number of other large music festivals across the country have gone belly up over the last several years. Summerfest has had staying power. Summerfest has been around for 52 years. The attendance goes up. The attendance goes down, and last year was a down year as far as attendance goes at Summerfest. The organizers say, well, they had some really bad weather. They had a couple days that were washed out by rain, and they had three days that were really, really hot. And what they will tell you is, you know, the worst thing for a festival, a matter of fact, my friends at State Fair say the same thing, is intense heat. Because people, you know, it's it's one thing if it's if it's cool, people will put on a jacket and they will still come out. If it rains for a little bit, as long as it's not an all-day washout, I mean, people will, okay, you bring down a raincoat, you know it's going to end. Intense heat, people just don't want to do anything, and they stay home. That that really is the enemy of festival goers. So they had three days of really bad heat. Um, they had a couple days of rain. I, I think also, and some people might disagree with me about this, I think after years of getting criticized for having acts that were too baby boomer-centric, um, last year, I, I think... They went too far to the other extreme, and I think they had a lot of acts that were designed to appeal to millennials, and a lot of baby boomers maybe stayed home. But at the same time, also, when you're booking a 1,000 bands, there's only so much you can do. Who's touring? You know, Who's available? Who can you get? All that type of stuff. So, I mean, last year, attendance down, but there's a variety of factors. Summerfest, though, is continuing to put a ton of money into the grounds, into the entire infrastructure. This year, if people go to see one of the main stage acts at the American Family Amphitheater, you're going to see apparently that the roof has been raised so they can bring in um, larger acts. By larger, I mean you know some of these acts that travel with the huge, uh, the, the huge production shows. They can do that. Next year, you're going to have new seating and new concourses and things. So they're right in the middle of this two-year thing. But they're putting millions and millions of dollars into the grounds because the folks that run Summerfest believe that that the big music festival, despite the fact that you might have other festivals that have faltered and, and including some very popular ones, they believe that there is a future for events like Summerfest. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I couldn't agree more. I, I think I think Summerfest is, is I would say it's a, an area treasure. I think it's a statewide treasure. I think it's a regional treasure. I remember the first couple Summerfests. Whenever I walk onto the Summerfest grounds, I am always struck by how things have changed over the last several decades. I mean, I remember the beginning when in the main stage was on the north end of the grounds and, and it, it was essentially some bleachers and then it was a bunch of grass that turned into mud. I mean, and if you had to go to the bathroom, you went to porta potties. I mean, I, 
I remember that type of Summerfest, and I'm just always blown away with the commitment that's been down there and all the improvements that were made. You can always, I guess, find fault with a particular you know festival or event or, gee, I wish they had more of this type of act or I wish they had less of that type of act or, or whatever. But I think the Summerfest model, the idea of, you know, let's do – you know, 10 or 11 days, let's bring in an eclectic bunch of a group of, of music. Let's have music that appeals to all sorts of generations. And let's do it at a spectacular venue like the Lakefront. And let's put money into infrastructure to make the experience of going down there. I think it's a winning model. I don't think that, and again, attendance, I'm going to concede. Attendance is going to go up and down. It's going to vary on a number of things. This year, there's a couple other shows that are playing during Summerfest, ones at the Pfizer Forum, or that are playing immediately after. So there's always competition for the entertainment dollar. And attendance, I think, is going to fluctuate a, a bit. You know, two years ago for the 50th anniversary, the attendance was, was huge. I, I don't know that attendance is necessarily the best indicator in any one given year. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you envision the future of Summerfest as being? Is Summerfest 10 years from now, are are we going to be having this conversation about, hey, it's Summerfest, it's the 62nd year? Or, you know, is is Summerfest in danger of, at some point in time in the not-so-distant future, you know, going the way of the dinosaurs, going the way of the Lollapaloozas or things like that? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I happen to think that the future of Summerfest is bright, and I think even in a crowded industry, there's a lot of interest in this. All right, Summerfest fans, Summerfest detractors, I would like your opinion. We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Here's our first text. Jeff, I think it will continue to flourish. That would be Summerfest. Do you by any chance know who they're replacing Megadeth with? Yeah, they're not replacing Megadeth. Um, Ozzy Osbourne was originally scheduled to perform on the 4th of July. Ozzy... My guess is Ozzy falls a lot. Ozzy fell at, at his house, canceled the tour. So what Summerfest did was they, they decided Megadeth was going to be the opener for Ozzy Osbourne. So then they decided to headline with Megadeth. Um, and then, of course, the lead singer for Megadeth was recently di- diagnosed with throat cancer. So they, they've canceled the show. They canceled it with about two weeks' notice. And the truth was there's not enough time for Summerfest to book another act that would fit in that venue and sell tickets. So on the 4th of July, the uh, American Family Amphitheater is going to be dark. Chris in Hartford. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Chris. I I have to say that I love Summerfest. I've been going there for almost 40 years. I go back to the days when Eric Clapton was playing on a gravel stage. Right. and, And the stadium was just a bunch of bleachers. It was it was so much fun then, and it's still, we still love it. We still go every year, and the bands are just ridiculously good. We love it. Well, the thing I like, too, is that, you know, it, it really is incredible value. People complain about, well, the tickets cost this or that or whatever, but as I always say, first of all, if you're paying full price to get into Summerfest, you're really not trying that hard because they've got, there, there's so many free tickets floating around or discounts or opportunities to get in for cheap. Um, you know, you can find that, and then you think about, okay, you can get in for 
almost nothing and wander around and see all the different entertainment experiences. I mean, it's t- tell me where else you can go and see 10 or 12 or 15 bands in a given day I, for, oh, for what you I, pay. You can't do it. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's a wonderful venue. We enjoy it totally. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I mean, I see, I think Summerfest and, and where I think Summerfest has been extremely smart is I think it, it's come in the investment in the infrastructure. And, and I know you, you might say, well, well Jeff, it, it's all about the music. Well, no, it's not about the music. It's about, it's about the music, but it's about the overall experience. And the truth of the matter is, as, as people get older, hand in the air, as, as people get older, you know, you're, you know, the idea of, hey, I'm going to go sit on the lawn or I'm going to sit on the gravel or I'm going to stand in line for the porta potties, that that doesn't become as appealing. You you want a better experience. Now, I, I understand for people who are younger, it doesn't make any difference here. You know, we'll go down there, we'll hang out, we'll sit on the picnic tables at, at you know, 1130 at night. And I think Summerfest is, has been conscious about saying, we've got to continue to upgrade the grounds to make it a positive experience for everybody. And that's why you've seen a lot of money put into, you know, all the permanent bathrooms. And again, I maybe you don't think bathrooms are a big deal, but if you remember back 35 or 40 years ago, there weren't too many permanent bathrooms you were out lines outside of porta potties and the truth of the matter is well you get to a certain age and and yeah you'll stand out in front of the porta potty if you got to but that's not your preference right melissa i agree you know i agree i think bathrooms are a big deal especially you know if you do have good bathrooms keep them clean too so that's important as well all right but but it's the whole idea and i think that's where the festival has grown and i think you know what you've seen is some of the the other music festivals, very very popular ones in populated areas that have have gone under over the years. It's because I, I think they they forgot to take care of the, the infrastructure, the grounds. Because it, yeah, it's important to have bands that people want to see. I get it, and I'm not disputing that. And I actually think Bob Babich, the the head booker at Summerfest, does a great job with that. But it's also about the overall experience that gets people coming back. And I understand. I mean, you go on a Friday night, and it's going to be really, really crowded. And maybe you have to wait in line to use the bathroom or whatever, or you have to wait in line for a beer. Or maybe there's been somebody that's overserved that sloshes beer on you. But that's what you're, the experience you're always going to get when you're in huge crowds. I'm just saying, in general, I think they do a pretty good job. Let me sneak in one more call before the news. Uh, Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thanks. I think um, I think definitely has a long has a long future, provided there's three elements. Number one is good management. Yep. Um, and like you just, you know, talked about infrastructure. And, um, you know, the acts and stuff that all comes. But being able to understand where your money's coming from as far as um, you know, the, the, the users, if you will. Right. Um, the ones that have money, I mean, it comes down to. Well, um, well, right. I mean, you know, and it's, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, years and years ago, Summerfest was all about attendance. It was, can yeah. we get a million people onto the grounds? And so yeah, they gave cares? away free tickets. Right. And, and so you had a lot of, you had a lot of 16 year old kids who would pour yeah, in. Right. And, and they're running around trying to buy beer. Okay. Well, and, and that, that's fine. But that really wasn't paying the bills, and it was ruining everybody else's experience. So you've got to find that balance. You certainly need a critical mass of people. But to me, it's not all about, gee, can we, can we put a million people on those grounds during the course of it? Because, candidly, I, I think it's too crowded. I don't think the grounds are big enough to handle a million people. No, I mean, you know, and, and that's one of the things that turns off the people that, that you know, I'm like your age. Yeah. You know, I'm 60, and 
you know, that's one of the things that, you know, kind of turned turned me off a while back yeah. was just the fact that, you know what, I don't need this. I just, I want to be able to go out and have a good time. I don't want to have to sit there and, right. you know, battle right. with some kid that's... Right, you, you don't want to be stuck in something where it's going to take you 30 minutes to get from one end to the other, and you're just you're just shoulder to shoulder. No, thanks for calling. I, I get it. And so that's why it's the balance. It's one of the reasons I also say, you know, timing is important. If, if you Look, if you're going to go down at for shows at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night, you're going to run into crowds. So you just got to you gotta bring your I'm going to run into crowd you know hat and, and deal with it. On the other hand, like I say, come down and see me at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and, and you'll there are gonna be people there. I guarantee it, there's gonna be lots of people there. You can still have a good time, but it's not gonna be as crowded. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The the latest woman to come forward alleging sexual misconduct on the part of President Trump before he was president is this woman named E. Jean Carroll. She's an advice columnist. She writes a column for Elle magazine. I think she has done a huge disservice to the Me Too movement by coming forward in the way that she has. Now, now hear me out. Um, before Donald Trump was elected, there were approximately 15 women who came forward and, and in various degrees talked about how he had behaved inappropriately with them at various points in, in time. Now, this is the same Donald Trump, of course, who over the years cultivated and enjoyed the, this image of being the billionaire playboy, you know, attractive woman, women on his arm, etc., etc. This is the same Donald Trump who, while he's running for president, you know, is captured um, or, I, at one point in time. Uh, before he's running for president, is captured with, you know, with the Billy Bush interview um, for Access Hollywood, where he's talking about he grabs women's genitals and things like that. All right, this is the same Donald Trump who I, I think, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Trump hater, we, can we stipulate that at least at a certain point in time in his life, the guy was a pig with regard to how he treated women. Can we stipulate to that? Now, a number of these allegations came out before the election, and for whatever reason... Voters decided it did not matter. For his part, President Trump says all these women are lying, which is something that I find hard to believe. You will never convince me that Stormy Daniels, the pornographic movie star who says she had a one-night stand with him at his golf outing in 2006 or 2007, you're not going to convince me that she's not she's lying. I, I, I think it probably happened. You know, Donald Trump's on the road. He's at this golf tournament. You've got this woman who's a pornographic film actress. You know, she doesn't say she was sexually assaulted. She just says that we had this one-night stand. I, My guess is it it probably happened i tend to believe her and in various shapes and forms i I tend to believe some of the other women over the years who've talked about his incredibly boorish behavior simply because it was that this was the donald trump persona i think this was who donald trump was at a certain point in time in in his life and i'm not defending it i'm certainly not endorsing it um but I think that's probably the the way of the world back then. It is a different world now. All right, so the, the latest allegations are in a book written by this woman, E. Jean Carroll. She is a... Um, She's an advice columnist for Elle magazine. She's 75 years old now. She's coming out with this book, and the book essentially says, what do we need men for? And my, my understanding is... 
in this book, she talks about how you know terrible men are and how various men have mistreated her over the course of, of her career. She, she names names. Donald Trump is one. Uh, Les Moonves, the disgraced guy that used to run CBS, he, he's an, another. And, and her story aired in the book, which came public for the first time when she was when it was excerpted a portion of this was excerpted in the New York magazine last week she says long story short that she had met Trump once or twice New York in the 80s and, and 90s she's at a high-end department store one day in 1995 or 1996 she runs into Trump they start having this conversation. He asks her, he says he, he's looking to buy some lingerie or something for for a girl. He says, will you model it? She agrees to go and, and try some on in the dressing room of this high-end store. All weird. He goes into, she says he goes into the dressing room. And then, if you believe her, he says he grabs her and he engages in conduct, which to me is rape. I mean, she, she describes you know, what he does, and if she's telling the truth, you know, she was raped in, in the dressing room. Um, afterwards, he, he leaves. She says that she doesn't report it to authorities. She doesn't report it to the store. She tells two of her friends, and one of them says, well, you should report this. Another says, oh, it's Donald Trump. Um, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have all these lawyers. And so she does nothing with it, and it sits and sits for 20-some-odd years, and, and now it surfaces in the context of her writing and trying to sell this book. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk or Text Line. I don't know if this happened or, or not. For his part, President Trump, as he always says with these things, completely denies it, says the woman is a liar, and then goes on to say that she's not his type. Um, <clears throat> which I, I'm, there's an, I'm rolling my eyes behind the microphone right now. All right, so, so that's his response to this. Whether you believe her or not, I think the timing, that the timing of this, candidly, I think hurts the Me Too movement. Because I, I understand that there are women who are and have been the victims of sexual assault. I understand that it, it takes a lot of gumption to be willing to come forward, that type of stuff. But to raise these type of claims, now you're talking about going on three years into the Trump administration um, and and in the context of I am trying to sell a book, to me raises all sorts of issues about about her credibility. She had all sorts of opportunities to come forward with this information, certainly when a number of the other women were coming forward during the the first campaign. She chose not to do it. She chose to wait to save this sort of detail again until she's trying to sell her memoirs. And and for that, I I think it immediately calls her credibility credibility into question. I don't know if this happened or not. I, I, I just don't wasn't in the dressing room nobody was apparently in in the dressing room don't know you know what a reasonable woman would have done under a similar set of circumstances i have no idea about that but i guess when you bring out these allegations only in the context of hey i've got a new book coming out and i'm saying that donald trump sexually assaulted me i i think it makes it tougher to believe her number one and number two if it's tougher to believe her i i think 
I think maybe the general reaction is, well, maybe some of these other women who wait so long to come forward with these claims, maybe we, we shouldn't believe them as well. It is unfortunate that this woman, in my opinion, if this in fact happened, and maybe it did, maybe it didn't, I don't know, it's unfortunate that she's she's doing it in this context. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think of these allegations and the way that they are being raised? Namely, I'm doing a book tour. 414-799-1620, that in and of itself is unfortunate because I, I think, again, I think it calls her credibility into question. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So the C. Jean Carroll is doing an interview yesterday, and she says, in response to the president's response, well, it, it's it's the same. Um, he denies it. He turns it around. He attacks, and then he threatens. I'm sick of it. Think of how many women would have come have come forward. Nothing happens. And I guess, I mean, part of my question would be, all right, well, if if this did in fact happen to you in 1995 or 1996, and you were assaulted in the fashion that she describes, all right, well. You know, what, what responsibility do you have, not for inviting the assault, but for not going ahead and reporting this so that, I mean, an investigation could have been done? You know, are were there witnesses that were there? Do you go and you do a rape test and you determine whether or not there had been the type of conduct that she alleges? You, you can do this type of stuff, but, but when you save these very serious allegations for the context of, okay, well, now he's the president of the United States. This happened at some unspecified time 20-some years ago. And by the way, by my book, I, I think you, you, you hurt your own credibility. And I, again, I don't know if it happened or, or not. I take no position on that. But you certainly hurt your own credibility by waiting all this time. Let's start with Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. <clears throat> um I don't know. I'm, I get a little tired of this stuff. I, you know, first of all, did it happen? Didn't happen? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Back in that time, people may have acted differently. Not to, not, not endorsing to it. Not that, right. exactly. Right. Not. But you know, she's in a big department store. She's in a room. Why did she scream? Why did she come out? How do you know that she wasn't a willing participant? And right. I just, to me, to wait this long, you know, she's the next person. Was what Michael Wolf said it was Amarosa. It's the next 15 minutes of fame, and, you know, they got a book to sell, and, you know, two weeks from now, nobody will know who the hell she is. Well, right, you know. I think it's just so unfair to, you know, and I'm a Trump supporter, I'll admit it, but, man, if you got accused of much stuff as he does, you know, you'd be kind of defensive, too. Well, yeah, I mean, I I guess that's it. Thanks. I mean, and I guess it, it, it is unfortunate that... That if if this if this had happened and and again who knows if it did or not it's unfortunate that this has happened that you know maybe that, that she didn't come forward if not at the time when it was something that could either have been proven or dif- disproven that it's unfortunate maybe that she didn't come forward a couple years ago why you know when when all these other women are coming forward but when you when you wait until the context of hey nobody really knows who I am I mean. Could, Let's face it. If it weren't for this sort of allegation, would people be running out to buy a book by this lady who most people outside of the readers of Elle magazine, you know, most people don't know who this woman is. But but now now the fact that she's made these explosive allegations, well, she's pretty much guaranteed that my guess is her her book is going to open up pretty close to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And I guess I 
I, I think it's unfortunate in some respects that you do this type of timing for all the other people who are legitimate victims of, of sexual assault who are intimidated about coming forward because, you know, it, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. But this lady decides, I'm going to wait to make these allegations until I'm trying to sell a book 20-some years later. Rick in New Berlin. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, listen, I got to say, you know, it's not a but then you got to look at some of Trump's stuff, you know, he, all the years that he said, you know, uh, uh, venereal disease was his Vietnam and all the mm-hmm. crazy things that he said. Yep. But the, what really sticks to me is why they got, they went after and they got Bill Cosby. Look what, look what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just nuts. And a lot of hearsay and a lot of this and a lot of that. And they got him. I guess that's where I stand with that. Well, I mean, I get. I mean, look. Here, here, here's first of all, the, the the governor of New York, who's running for president, by the way, um, the governor, the mayor of New York, who's running for president, says, "Well, you know, if she'll file a police report, we'll start to investigate this." Well, um, all right, the, the statute of limitations on this ha- has long ago passed. You know that. So that's that that that's the thing. You can make nothing is ever going to come out of it criminally. Now, I understand that there are are uh, look. I think there's no question that Donald Trump is, when if you look at his conduct towards women over the course of his lifetime, and again, we're talking about stuff that happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and that's not a defense for, for boorish, or if you believe this, you know, um, more than that. I mean, if you believe her allegations, it's sexual assault. I, I don't care whether she describes it that way or not, but if you believe her allegations, it, it's sexual assault. And, and I understand that you know, you, you for some people that they come forward and it, it's twenty or thirty years ago, and that doesn't change the fact that stuff like that happened. the The problem I think becomes that it's very, very difficult. It's very, very difficult for people to judge things uh, and to say, okay, after all that period of time, when somebody says it didn't happen and somebody else says it did, it's very difficult to determine who is who is telling the truth. I guess the the bottom line of this is I think by and I'll go back to my basic premise by waiting as long as she did number 1 and number 2 now only raising these allegations in the context of this is my new book buy it I think it it makes it much more difficult to believe her and again that that's unfortunate because if in fact she was assaulted in this fashion by the man who's the president of the United States, I think that's something that needs to be extremely relevant and certainly a, a factor. Problem is we're never going to know, and in many respects, the reason we're never going to know is because of the timing and the way this particular woman has decided to wait to bring this up. I, for one, not going to read the book. I, I'm I'm not going to read the book. I think, you know, the only thing that's in there is, you know, we, we all now, now now all know, and you can decide whether it's accurate or not. From the president's perspective, again, I understand his modus operandi in these things. It's just to deny, to deny, to deny, to say they're totally lying. And I, okay, I get that. I, I, why he gratuitously throws in, she's not my type. I, 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 again, I, I just roll my eyes as to that. But that's President Trump. And, and he's not changing. All right. When we come back, another day, another stolen car, another car chase, and one other dazzling detail we will discuss. Stick around. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right, here is the story. Three people injured Saturday when a police pursuit ended in a crash. Milwaukee police officers saw a stolen vehicle driving recklessly about 3.30 in the afternoon, 2900 block of West Brown Street. Okay, so this is 3.30 Saturday afternoon. Officers try to pull over the car, and of course, what happens in Milwaukee? Well, the driver takes off. We're not going to just pull over. The car runs a red light at Fond du Lac Avenue in West Locust and hits another car that had a right of the right of way. Now, thankfully, the driver of the other car was not seriously injured, as you know, that's not what we can say a lot of times. Paramedics, you know, show up, and what they find is that the people driving the car that took off, and by the way, I mentioned that the car was stolen. Well, wait for it. They were juveniles. And so they're all taken to the hospital. All three have injuries that are non-life-threatening. Police have taken the two juveniles into custody. Okay, so here you have a situation where you have these two juveniles. They are driving a stolen car. When the police go to pull them over, they take off high rate of speed, blow through a red light, and hit another car. Again, thankfully, nobody is seriously injured in connection with this. Not the kids who stole the car or are driving the stolen car and are running from the cops and not the person they hit and not an innocent pedestrian and not the police. Here's where I think it becomes an interesting question. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a general rule in Milwaukee County, if you are a juvenile and you steal a car, Nothing is going to happen to you. And by nothing, I mean that if you get charged, if you get charged, you will be sent to juvenile court. You're not going to be waived into adult court. You're going to be sent to juvenile court, and then you're going to have your wrist slapped, and you'll be told, don't do this again. And when you come out and you do it again, well, all right, then nothing's going to happen to you. And and there are instances of you have some juveniles who've been responsible for 10 to 20 stolen cars and there's really been no consequence. They're still sent back out on the streets or deferred to their parents' custody or, or whatever. Okay, so here you have a situation, and I want to take your temperature. You have a situation where you have people driving a stolen car. They are juveniles. They run from the police. They blow through a red light. They hit another car. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a situation that calls for some form of incarceration? whether it's sending them to Lincoln Hills or whether if they're old enough, and I don't know whether they're 13 or 14 or 16, or trying to waive them into adult court and to get some real punishment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I won't bury the lead here. I think part of the problem that we have as many car thefts and carjackings and reckless driving as we have is because Again, we have this catch and release system with juveniles where juvenile know, juveniles know that nothing bad is going to happen to them. And to me, you steal a car, you flee from the police, you cause an automobile accident, and you put other people's lives at risk. Yes, I think you should be in some form of confinement. 
again, depending on your age, whether that's an adult prison or whether it's some ju- juvenile detention facility, simply saying don't do this again is not an adequate response. Let's start with Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Two things. One, they should charge them as adults, make it a felony, whatever. But more important, find the parents or parent, charge them, because the kids need some sort of of intelligent education before they're old enough to get behind a car. And if they, my late father would have killed me. And there has to be yeah. more than just the kids going to jail. The parents should suffer consequences. Well, the problem, I mean, look, I don't know about this case, but the problem is you got to understand that a lot of times you're talking about incredibly dysfunctional families where, Correct. you know, you, you don't, you don't know where the father or the mother is, and maybe the kids are being. Re- and again, it's it's tough to generalize, and I don't know about this case, but you know, a, a lot of times it's not it's not like there's Warden June Cleaver, you know, where you can go or you know and say, okay, you're going to be held accountable. And that, and I understand, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Yeah. It's just part of the problem. Yeah, they're living somewhere, so someone has responsibility for them if they're juveniles. Yes, and man, if. If that was a consequence for me and my kids, oh yeah, I'd lock I'd lock them up in a closet until they were twenty one. Oh, abs- no, ab- thank, thanks. So ab- absolutely, but I mean, this is, and I guess the the frustrating thing, and we can talk about it in the abstract here, because in this particular case, somebody didn't die, but but the truth of the matter, and you saw that with the off duty police officer and the drunk last week, that the truth of the matter is. Okay, you're driving the stolen car. The police try to pursue. You've got some kid, and again, I don't know if he's 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, but, you know, they decide they're going to flee. That's the thing. Hey, we're just going to run through the red lights, and you hit a car. Now, in this case, nobody was killed, but it's but for the grace of God that nobody was killed. And you have to, I just think, for the protection of the rest of us, you have to stop it. We have to stop this. And what we are doing in the juvenile justice system, and I say that in quotation marks, is just a joke. Autumn in West Bend. Hi, Autumn. Hi. What do you think? So I think when kids get away with things, um, when they're younger, growing up, they think that it's okay to get away with more serious stuff and that they'll get away with it. Yeah. And and, and unfortunately, we have a, a system that just reinforces that, where you have kids that, let's take the car theft thing. You steal a car. Nothing bad happens to you after you get caught. And you don't get caught all the time. Then you steal another car and still nothing bad happens to you. Well, after after a while, if nothing bad is going to happen to you, you're right. It just reinforces the behavior. Let's steal all these cars we want. Right. No, I, I, kids get in cars and they don't realize how dangerous cars can be. They right. think they're invincible when they're driving. Right. It becomes a game. You're exactly right. It, it becomes a game. Now, thanks for calling. And it... It puts the rest of us at risk. First of all, I, I know that there are some people in the system who don't believe that, that car, who believe something like car theft is a victimless crime. Well, okay, tell that to anybody who's ever had their car stolen and had to, you know, figure out, okay, how am I going to get around without my car? How am I going to deal with the insurance type of things? I mean, car theft is in fact a big deal. But this isn't what happened, for example, on Saturday. Isn't just car theft. What it is, is it's car theft and fleeing from the police. Here's the other frustrating thing about the juvenile justice system. It's secret. The idea is 
We have to protect these little thugs, and so we don't identify them publicly. We don't tell the community who it is that's doing this. We don't tell the community how many other times that these punks have done the same thing because, well, we don't want to you know, tar them for life. Well, why the heck not? I mean, if they're doing this stuff consistently, why not? And by the way, by not disclosing this, you give the juvenile judges credit. You give them cover because then, you know, when some juvenile goes out and ends up killing somebody in a fashion like this, you're never really able to figure out, okay, how many times had this kid been through the system and who kept turning him loose? Let's talk to Adam in Menominee Falls. Hi, Adam. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. We we definitely have to do something. Something has to be done. Thank God that he didn't run over a, a young mother walking her baby down the sidewalk. Yeah, this is three her. o'clock. This is three thirty on Saturday afternoon. You know, it, you know, yeah. in the streets of Milwaukee, it's not three in the morning. It's three thirty in the afternoon, and somebody's fleeing the cops, blowing through a red light. Yep. And uh, I, I I think maybe we need to take a vote. Uh, do third senators and congressmen to uh, make a law that, that whole well, somebody has to be whole accountable? Well, unfortunately, and thanks for calling, Adam. I, I hate to give you the bad news, but unfortunately, at least around here, the the, the emphasis is the other way. That the, the prevailing attitude right now is we are too tough on criminals. We are locking up too many of this type of person or that type of person. It costs money to lock people up, and it does. I, I understand that. So we have to find all these alternatives. Well, the problem is we've been doing all this stuff with alternatives for the last couple decades, and, and they don't work. They don't work because there's no consequences. And, look, the vast majority of crimes – are committed by a relatively small percentage of criminals, whether they're adult criminals or whether they're juvenile criminals. We don't do, I don't think you do a juvenile criminal a favor by simply saying, okay, we've caught you for the fourth or fifth time, we're going to slap you on the wrist and send you back out on the street. Because what is inevitably going to happen just as soon as night follows day is sooner or later the kid who's stealing the cars and who's now, he's going to graduate to carjacking or whatever, and sooner or later, he's going to pull the trigger on that gun, he's going to kill somebody. Or he's going to blow through, or she is going to blow through that intersection and hit and kill the person they're going to die. And at that point in time, then they're going to be going to prison, and they're going to be going to prison for a lengthy period of time. By not having people have to be held responsible for consequences, we don't do them a favor, period. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to this case. Unfortunately, if they don't waive these punks into adult court, nobody is ever going to know. So don't be surprised if that happens, if two years later one of these kids does the same thing, blows through a red light, then gets treated as an adult. Well, we could only say we told you so. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. How can I say this? This next story... It's flat-out California nuts. Now, here is the deal. San Francisco. In San Francisco, they are about ready, and we've talked about this before, to legalize what they call safe injection sites, which is where you will be able to go if you are a junkie, and you can shoot up with heroin. You can shoot up with whatever other opioid you want. 
You can do methamphetamine. You can shoot up with crack. You can you know, use crack cocaine. You can do that in these safe injection areas. They'll even give you clean needles, and nobody will say anything to you. Matter of fact, there will be a nurse there that makes sure that, well, if you have an overdose, that there's somebody who can give you the stuff that you need right away. I mean, seriously, this is what we are doing. San Francisco, if you are over 21 and you've got an appropriate ID, you can go and you can buy tobacco. San Francisco, if you are over 21 with an appropriate ID, you can buy any form of liquor. San Francisco, if you are over 21 with an appropriate ID, you can go and legally purchase pot. So safe injection sites, tobacco, cigarettes, tobacco, pot, and um, alcohol. All right, so today, today, the San Francisco City Council is prepared to ban something. Now, again, they're, they're not banning heroin use at the at the clinics, at the safe injection sites. They're not banning liquor. They're not banning tobacco. They're certainly not banning pot. What are they prepared to do? They are getting set to ban e-cigarettes. Now, Gru, everybody knows what e-cigarettes are, right? I mean, this is... E-cigarettes, it's the the vaping thing, and it's one of the the things that have kind of this sort of craze that's 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 taken over the country, and you see all these stores that are coming up now. E-cigarettes have have always been billed as an alternative to regular tobacco use. The idea is that these things have different flavors. But, you know, they have a nicotine level in them. So actually, they're used by a number of people who've been smokers for years and years. And what they, they do is it's a way of uh, you, you vape instead of, you know, do the cigarette smoking. And it's a way to get some people to quit. Now, I understand for some people, you know, it just it switches the addiction from the tobacco to, uh, again, the vaping. But at least right now, the jury is out as to how dangerous this particular thing is. And I don't think there's too many people that suggest that that vaping, the e-cigarettes, are more dangerous than tobacco cigarettes. There's also a concern, of course, that these e-cigarettes that come in in various flavorings, that that they're more accessible to young people, and it's kind of a gateway sort of drug, although we... I guess have pretty much repudiated the idea that marijuana is a gateway drug to harder things. But there's some people that are concerned that, hey, these kids start off and they use some of these flavored, you know, vaping things. And then what they do is then pretty soon they're smoking menthol cigarettes and then, you know, then then they're hooked on cigarettes. I am not necessarily a proponent. I, look, I don't smoke. I, I've really never smoked and and I don't intend to start at this point in my life. I, I've never done the vaping thing. That's not something that has an appeal to me at all. So I really don't have, you know, a, a horse in this particular race. I do think, though, that in a city where you're going to make it legal to have a safe injection site so you can do, you know, um, you can inject heroin, where you can buy tobacco, you can buy marijuana, and you can buy um, liquor. I, I think to ban e-cigarettes is absolutely ridiculous. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I've never, I've never vaped. Grew, you ever vaped? You ever done? You've never done it either. Nope, nope, nope. And you, you're not a smoker either, are you? 
I quit years ago. You quit? You're not that old. Okay, all right. You, you, you quit years ago. All right, yeah. All right. So 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I have no problem with regulations on, on who can buy these e-cigarettes. I mean, I, I if you want to treat them like you treat tobacco, all, all right, I, I'm open to at least having that discussion. But at this point in time, for a community to ban e-cigarettes at the same time that they are allowing people to to buy regular cigarettes and buy marijuana and buy liquor seems to me to be what's the word nuts 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line and i guess if you're one of those people who either are a cigarette smoker or trying to get off cigarettes by vaping or just enjoy the e-cigarettes all right should your activity should it be outlawed? That is precisely what they are doing in San Francisco, and I frankly don't get it. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Ed in Milwaukee. Ed, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, cigarettes along with vaping should be regulated. Um... I was a smoker for 35 years. Um, I ended up with uh, heart disease. Mm-hmm. But I died from cancer one day. I knew that was a possibility, but I ended up with heart disease, which now I have a pump that operates my heart for me. Um, and I run on batteries during the day. i got to put two batteries on. And at night, I plug myself into a cord. So mm-hmm. I need to regulate both of them. It shouldn't just be one or the other. Um, if you're going to do it for one, do it for the other, because uh, this isn't much of a life I live anymore. You know, um... What what got you started smoking in the first place, Ed? Um, peer pressure. I was 18 years old. People I hung around with were smoking, and I yeah. started smoking along with them. And I continued. Yeah. I, I, over time, I mean, I knew something would happen bad. Cancer is what I always thought right. about cancer. I didn't know you could get heart disease from it, Jeff, till yeah. I woke up one morning and my feet were swollen up. I ended up in the ER at St. Luke's. Now I'm on the heart transplant list at St. Mm. Luke's, and uh Mm. Especially kids, I see young people smoking. I'll go up there and I tell them stop now because uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I swear, I, I see the same thing. I see, I understand maybe people, you know, at my age, our age, that that maybe it started because you know people didn't really appreciate how bad it could have been or what the implications were. But I, I swear, when I I walk into a, a bar nowadays or a restaurant and you see all these particularly young people huddled outside, especially in the winter, you know, huddled outside having a cigarette. And these are people like in their 20s. And you want to just kind of say, what are you doing? Why are you why are you smoking? Oh, yeah. And I do, Jeff. I go up to them and I lift my shirt up. But this all that, I also have a cord that goes into my abdomen. That's how mm-hmm. they power the pump on my heart. So Right. Um, and I show them. I, I try to show them. I'm trying to lead people in the right way. Right. Well, no, thank- one, no one really did it for me, but people but- just need to quit smoking. The vaping's going to be right up there, too. It'll be the next thing. Thanks for the call, Ed. I appreciate it. Best of luck. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. He, he actually raises a, a very interesting point, and I need a couple volunteers to kind of take this where I want to go. And, and th- those would be, if you, like Ed, if you are... A cigarette smoker, either long term or or short term. 
I, I, I've got a question. I need a couple volunteers. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I promise I'm not going to beat you up. This isn't going to be, you know, this isn't going to be a lecture. But I, I do, I mean, I find, I find this whole thing to be intriguing. And I listen to, I mean, I, I listen to phone calls from guys like Ed who, you know, long-term cigarette smoking who are, you know, you know, dealing with these various sort of health issues. He says that, hey, I, I knew over time I, I was going to run this risk. I didn't think it was going to be heart disease. I, I thought it was going to end up being cancer. But I guess I, I am intrigued by knowing what we know now. Why is it that people either make the decision to start smoking or make the decision to continue smoking. And again, I'm, this isn't a this isn't a lecture. I mean, it's you know, you're you're 21 years old. You you get to make those decisions. Is it because you enjoy it? I mean, for example, I have a I have a friend who stopped smoking. My my friend is now in his 80s. He stopped smoking 40 some years ago. 414-799-1620 number. Stopped smoking 40 some years ago. But I mean, he tells me to this day, he misses it. He, he thoroughly enjoyed it. And he's always said, Hey, if I'm ever, if I'm ever diagnosed with a terminal disease, if the doctor tells me I've got, you know, six months to live and there's nothing we're going to be able to do it, he said, I'm going to start smoking again because he said, I enjoyed it. I loved everything there was about cigarette smoking. I enjoyed having the meal and sitting down and, and doing that. And, and he, he genuinely liked it. I know that there's other people who, well, candidly, you know, wish that, you know, you know, would wish that they could quit. But because, you know, that that's such a powerful addiction, you know, they've tried many times and they always relapse. So 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. couple volunteers, um, especially if you are, and Gru is lining up the calls as we speak, couple volunteers for people who, you know, if you are, if you are a smoker, I would like to discuss that with you. Let's start with Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're first. Hello. Hey, afternoon, Jeff. You're a smoker? Uh, yes, I am. Tell, tell me why. Um, I started smoking back in driver's ed when I was 16, and now I am 44. So I've been smoking for that long, and that was just peer pressure, and thought it was a cool thing to do, you know, when I was 16, and just never gave it up. Why not? Uh Honestly, that's a good question. Okay. I can't. <laughs> okay. I mean, how, how, give me an idea. I mean, how, how much, and I, this isn't a lecture. I appreciate you calling. I mean, how, how much do you smoke? Do you smoke a pack a day, a half a pack a day, a couple cigarettes every week? How, how regular a smoker? Uh, are you? Around a pack a day. A pack? Usually for the most part. Yeah. Okay. So a pack a day, pack of cigarettes now goes for what, about eight or ten bucks? Uh, well, it depends on where you get it from. Okay. I get a Walgreens. You can get them for six seventy. So it's like oh. seventy bucks a carton. Okay, seventy bucks a carton. A carton is ten packs. Yep. Okay, so you're you're smoking a pack a day. So yeah, okay. don't do the math. Okay, on, all right, please. okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, no, I said it, okay, but but you 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 agree? Uh, it, it's a bunch of money. I mean, it, it's an it's expense there, and you sound oh, like it's a chunk load of change. Yeah, and and you are a very smart guy. I know because you know you're a regular listener of the program and stuff, and you know it's not good for you. So. Let me let bring it around. I mean, is it because is it because you like it? Is it because you've got that addiction? Um, have you tried to quit before? Um, I have not tried to quit before. I guess it's a physical thing of bringing the hand up to the, uh-huh. up to your mouth. 
and putting something in your lips. Okay. Um, so I guess if I maybe had a pencil, <laughs> it might, you know, do the same thing. Well, it's at, 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 at um, 70 bucks a carton and once pack a day, you, you can go through a lot of pencils in that time. I know. Okay, thanks, Nicole. <laughs> I'm, 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 I am genuinely interested in this conversation and, see, and tying it back to the vaping. I do know that there are a number of people who, you know, have used, and again, maybe you're arguing you're replacing one addiction with another, but they've used the vaping as a way to get off the cigarettes, um, which, you know, maybe vaping will turn out to be health hazardous as well. I mean, I think the jury's still out on that, but I am always intrigued by the fact that people make the decision to smoke knowing that it's bad and knowing that it's expensive. Adam in Watertown. Hi, Adam. You're on WTMJ. Hi, how's it going? Real well, thank you. You are a smoker as well, my note says. Yes, sir. How much? How 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 frequently? Uh, pack a day. You're a pack a day too. Wow. So you yeah. and, and is our math right? About seven bucks or so a pack. Yeah, I just bought a pack for seven dollars and eighty nine cents. Okay. How long have you been smoking? Uh, about fifteen years now. Okay. What got you started? Um, just uh, I had older brothers that did it, family members that did it. So okay. Kind of fell into it. Have you tried to quit? Yes. Yes, and obviously, and, and obvi- what's what 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 keeps bringing you back? Why why haven't you been successful? Uh, it's addicting. It's yeah. highly addictive. Uh, the last caller said it's the the hand to the mouth thing, and I just I don't I don't believe that it's addictive. It's the most, it's the worst thing I've ever chosen to do in my life. But really? it's just something that's just so highly addicting. It's just you can't stop. You know. Have I've you tried. have you tried the stuff with the patch and all those type of things? Yeah, the patch was weird. It made my arm really numb. Okay. And I tried it in different locations, and it just it cut off blood flow. Okay. Like a, a significant amount, so I stopped that. The gum tastes bad. Yeah. Um, I've uh, I haven't tried Shantix or anything like that yet, just because uh, I don't I don't do neurologically changing drugs. So I try to keep that away, even though nicotine is, you know, a neurological drug that I'm doing. But, right. Right. You know, Something that alters my mind frame like that is something so. I, I mean, you from- you you would you would like to quit and hope to be able to do it sometime. It's just so far oh, yeah. it hasn't worked. Of yeah, of what course. Would, yeah. What? Okay. Do you ever have the same reaction that I was talking about earlier, where you're, you're walking into again the, the the bar or the restaurant or whatever, and it's five degrees above zero, and you see particularly all these young people that are huddled outside? Do you ever want to kind of say to them, "What are you doing"? Uh, I, I am one of those young people. Yeah, got it. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. Yeah, got it. Okay, thanks for calling. I preach. I, again, I, I'm not. I, I don't do this topic as as to lecture, but I mean, I'm. I, I and I never tell people how to spend their money unless it's it's politicians that are spending my money and your money on the taxes. But I mean, you sit there and I'm thinking, okay, if we accept the basic premise that this isn't good for you. And, and I, I think it's difficult to argue that you accept the basic premise that this isn't good for you, and and it's and it's expensive. I mean, you know, seven seven bucks a day. I mean, do the math. So he says, get the carton for he's got the carton for seventy bucks. All right, so that lasts ten days at a pack a day. Do the math, thirty days a month. Okay, so you're talking about two hundred two hundred ten dollars a, a month on, on alone on on cigarettes. Okay, so what's that? You mean you're talking twenty five hundred dollars a year on 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 cigarettes? And I understand we all do stuff that's bad for us, but goodness, 414-799-1620. Kathy in Brookfield. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Jeff. Okay, you are a smoker as well? I'm a smoker. I've smoked since I was 
16 or 17 and I'm 57. I've tried oh. to quit many times. I've, I've quit up to like 20 months. I've quit. And I seem to go back. It's more psychological for me. You, uh, you were able to quit for 20 months and then you fell yes. off the wagon? Oh, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what is it? That's is, what I said to myself. Oh, Kathy. <laughs> That's, what's the, okay, how, how, how big a smoker are you? The first two guys were talking, they were a pack a day. How, how much do you smoke? Oh, um, no, I smoke like one or two cigarettes a day. Okay. All right. So not a, not a heavy smoker like some not of Not a heavy smoker. Yeah. It's psychological for me. It's just more like, like at my end of the day, it's my end of the day reward, uh-huh. end of the day relaxation. And right. maybe it, logically it makes no sense, but psychologically it's like the best time of the day. <laughs> well, no, I, well, Kathy, I mean, see, I, and I guess, I mean, while I, I mean, I understand what you're saying because the example I was giving with my friend, he, he loved having a, a cigarette after dinner. I mean, he just that it he just enjoyed. Okay. You finished dinner, you got your cup of coffee, you got your after dinner drink. He loves sitting back and having a cigarette. That's that okay. was his favorite time to smoke. Right, right, so, right. All right. Do you I think know. you're you think you're going to try again sometime? Yes, because all my friends have stopped. All but one of my friends has stopped, and and man, I I congratulate them all the time, and I just. I don't know why I'm not I'm not very strong in that sense, but um, yeah. at least I'm down to one or two. Well, a that, day, that's but. right, and 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 you're trying. <laughs> See, I preach. You you have called up. You know, arguably the largest radio station in the state. You've acknowledged. I'm Kathy. I'm a smoker. I want to try to quit. That's a good step. That's a good start, my dear. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. We're gonna take a quick break. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. <laughs> So, very glad to have you with us, Renee in New Berlin. Hi, Renee. Hi, Jeff. Okay, you're um, an ex-smoker now, right? Yes, I am an ex-smoker and darn proud of it. I started in 1971 and worked my way up to three packs a day. I couldn't afford it now. 21 bucks a day, that's a lot uh, yeah. of money. Right, up, literally up in smoke, yeah. Yeah, and I quit the day that I woke up. And before my feet hit the floor, I had a cigarette lit, and I was hacking like crazy. That's the day I decided to quit smoking, and it just happened to be my husband's birthday in 1979. I quit that day, and I actually was having a party for him that day, and everybody smoked. But I didn't touch one, and it was hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but I'm so proud that I quit. And my lungs, I have no ill effects from smoking that much. But that three packs a day is a lot of smoking. Oh, yeah. Did you uh, you ever fall off the wagon or were you ever tempted to go back or um, not really? I did have, when I went back to school after my children were born, I went back to get my teaching degree. And it got rather stressful because I put a lot of pressure on myself. I wanted to get be a straight-A student for once. And so I did have a couple cigarettes here and there, but um, they were nasty. Yeah. yeah. And to, to this day, I cannot stand the smell of smoke. Yeah, you know, isn't that, isn't that funny? I, I know a lot of ex-smokers who say exactly the, the same thing. Because you, 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 if you get into a car of a smoker. I mean, the, the whole uh, no offense to people who are smoking in their car, but the car reeks. I mean, it, it just does. Yeah. And and I I can't tell you how many 
you know, ex-smokers I know that will say, I can't believe that my car would have smelled like that, did it? And I say, yeah, it did. Well, why didn't you tell me? I said, what am I going to do, tell you that your car stinks? But it it, it does. I mean, right, if, if a lot of the ex-smokers, they're the ones that are perhaps the most militant non-smokers. It's like, oh, this is bad for you. you got to quit. You know, Jeff, my son smokes, and he walks into my house, and my whole house smells like an ashtray. And I'm like, you know, if you're going to smoke a cigarette right before you walk into my house, don't bother. Yeah, that's because right. Because I can't stand it. Yeah, it, no, thank I mean, it, it is just interesting. Years and years and years ago, this is, I mean, I, I don't, I forget. I'd, I'd been here for a year or two, and, and we had a guy that did, wasn't here for, they, they hired him to do the night show. And and he, he wasn't here that long. And I honestly, I don't remember the man's name right now. And I really didn't know him that well because I was working days. He was working nights. But he was a heavy, heavy smoker to the point that when you'd go into our our newsroom, you could tell when he was there because it just it just reeked. And, and you know, it was just kind of like, oh, my my goodness gracious. And and again, it's I, I guess the, the, the bottom line of all this. And I want to just take this back in our last couple moments on this segment before uh, you, <laughs> I think that anything that we can do to help people make the decision to stop smoking. Now, look, I'm I, I'm not saying outlaw tobacco. I I'm just saying that I think for a lot of people who are smoking, that they would like to quit. You know, you heard that story from a couple of people saying it's just, it's just hard. We can't do it. You know, we're addicted or whatever for that. I, I think that you know you need to offer alternatives. I I don't know that using these e-cigarettes is a guarantee that people are going to quit. But I know that there's a number of people who have gotten off of cigarettes, the tobacco cigarettes, you know, through the, the vaping stuff, and then that has made it easier for them to stop. I guess I don't understand as a matter of public policy why you would have a community, particularly a community like San Francisco, that turns its back, lets you, lets you do heroin, you know, in safe injection sites and let you buy tobacco and let you buy pot and let you buy booze, I have no idea why they would say, well, no, we're not going to allow you to sell e-cigarettes, which might just might be something that helps you kick the tobacco habit. Makes no sense to me at all. But again, I go back to what I said when I started this topic. California is nuts. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. It's a tough decision, but it's the right decision. If you're going to be irresponsible with a gun, you deserve to be held accountable. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you understand that I'm one of these guys who who rails about, I think, unreasonable gun laws, Which, and I, I emphasize the word unreasonable. For example, there are some communities that want to make it a law that in order for you to, if you want to possess a, a firearm, in particular a handgun, and you want to have it in your house, that firearm, as a matter of law, has to be locked up or protected with a trigger guard or something like that. They want to make it a law that that is the case. I've argued against that because, well, I, I look, the, the reality is many people, for example, you know, they have firearms because they feel that they're going to need them for protection. And if you want to have a handgun in, in a nightstand drawer and you want to be able to get easy access to it, well, I think you should have the right to do that. And also, if, for example, it's just you, 
you live alone, you know, in an apartment, all right, what, why shouldn't you make the decision as to where you want to keep that, that firearm? All right, I, I believe that. Now, I understand at the same time, if you are a firearm owner, you have a responsibility. And candidly, if you, if you have a gun in your house or your apartment and there's a number of small children who are running around who might have access to that firearm, well, I, I think you're a complete and total idiot, no offense. If you haven't locked up, if you, if you have that in a place, that gun in a place where, you know, the kids can get access to it. It's just a question of being a responsible firearm owner. I don't think we need a law that says that you have to have every gun locked up. At the same time, if you treat that gun in a negligent fashion and something bad happens, I think you need to be accountable, which brings us to this story from last week. You you might remember about a week ago, I think it was a week ago today, as a matter of fact, two officers show up at this house on, on 45th Street just after noon. They found a five-year-old boy lying on the living room floor with a gunshot wound to the head. How terrible could that be? There's a, a handgun right next to the child. The gun was loaded. Eight unspent cartridges and um, one casing. So a fully loaded gun, five-year-old was able to get a hold of it. Here's what the authorities say happened. The mother, um, the mother of the child lived with, with a guy and four children. The guy is the father, uh, and his name is Michael Moore, 25 years old. He's the father of this woman's three youngest children. They don't know if he's the father of the five-year-old who died or not, but you you got the situation there. Four kids, all under the age of five, and you've got the mom, and then you've got the father, at least, of some of them. What happens is the guy, he says he doesn't have a concealed carry permit, but he says he carries a gun with him at all times except when he goes to work. Um, He says that, well, like last Monday, I took the gun with me when I took my dog for a walk. He said, upon arriving home, I put the loaded handgun in the living on a living room shelf. He said, I got up, went to work about 745 in the morning. The kids woke up about 10 a.m. Mom makes uh, breakfast, puts on a movie, five-year-old sitting on a couch. Mom goes into the bedroom to take a nap. Police apparently say the mom wakes up around noon when she hears a gunshot. She finds the five-year-old lying on the living room floor. I mean, how absolutely terrible could that be? Okay, so here you have the guy who says, yeah, I I had a lock and a gun case, but I didn't use it. All right? Um, And so now what's happened is the man has been charged with neglecting a child resulting in death. It's a felony. He can go to prison for up to 25 years. Guy didn't intend the child to be hurt, so it's, it's not that, but it's his handgun. He left it on a shelf in the living room where the five-year-old had access to. Mom takes a nap. The gun is loaded. There's no trigger lock, etc., etc. Kids playing with it, pulls the trigger. Five-year-old is dead. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, feel free to disagree with me because the argument is this is a terrible tragedy. It is an awful accident. Nobody intended for this to happen. The argument you could make is what good comes from prosecuting this man? 
he, he didn't do this intentionally. It doesn't bring the child back. What do you gain from further traumatizing this family? That's the argument that you can, in fact, make. Now, I'm a guy, like I said, who doesn't believe that you should have a law that says that, you know, you have to have your firearm, you know, with a trigger lock or that you have to have it in a, in a safe. I don't think a one-size-fits-all law like that is necessary. But in this particular case, where you've got four children age five or younger to leave a loaded firearm, you know, in a position where the kid, the five-year-old, could get access to it, I think I think it's exactly the type of negligence that the law was meant for. And I think the guy should be prosecuted, and I think he should probably, if convicted, I think he should go to prison. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it too harsh to charge this man for leaving his firearm unattended and loaded in a place where the child could get it? 414-799-1620, my answer would be no. If nothing else, you have to punish this type of negligence, and maybe, just maybe, you have to send a message to other people that if you're going to have guns around the house, you've got to make sure that the kids can't get access to them. And in this particular situation, at least based on what they say in the criminal complaint, it doesn't sound like the kid had to do too terribly much to get access to a loaded gun. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Jesse in Waukesha. Hi, Jesse. You're on WTMJ. Hello. What do you think? (laughs) Hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. Okay, I'm turning on the radio. Um, Excellent. Uh, I was explaining, I'm a retired Navy SEAL. I teach people how to use firearms. Hello? Right, you're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, Don't say bad words. uh, Lots of people are listening to you now, so go ahead. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm very big into uh, gun safety. The young man was negligent. It's unfortunate. Um, From my perspective, I don't see the productivity of pursuing him in in a stern way, right? Obviously, it should be addressed somehow. But it's a complex situation, and, and it's my experience that the vast majority of people involved in sales and training are very uninformed. They're not very good. Again, I say this as a uh, retired Navy SEAL who currently trains people. So tell me um, what you do. You've got a five-year-old that's dead as a result of the, the, guy, I, I just, the, the guy leaving a loaded firearm in a position where the five-year-old could do it. Do you just, do you just ignore that? I mean, what, how do you deal with that? That, that's a very good question. So somebody who's probably closer to what family services have to deal and how, how to deal with these situations would probably answer it better. Okay. I wouldn't know what to suggest to do with this young man, but I think like putting him in prison for prolonged periods of time, uh, causing more financial burden to the family, and then removing a father who's obviously working and part of that family isn't good for the family. Okay, good right? enough. Thanks. No, thank, and that, and that's, that's – that's what I think the interesting conversation here is, because that that is the argument that this this was this was an accident. 
And in this case, you know, we're dealing with a, with a firearm that was left allegedly unattended. But, you know, you, you get this argument a lot with the with the co-sleeping cases as well. I mean, this the argument is, OK, so you, you get mom or dad that comes home and they're drunk or they're high or whatever, and they pass out and they roll over and the, you know, and the, the baby ends up dead. And it's like, OK, well, yes, they, they shouldn't have done this. But, you know, what do we do here? Is it compounding the situation by are you victimizing again certain victims by saying okay we're going to prosecute them that's what i think the interesting thing is now i appreciate jesse's perspective because you say okay what do you gain by removing the father from the situation well first of all you can make that argument i guess i would respond you can make that argument about a lot of different things you know what do you gain by putting the the thief in in prison you know shouldn't they be better off you know working to you know working to try to pay off the debt well okay you can make that argument almost any time I guess my argument first of all would be we we do have this element of punishment for for conduct that leads to bad things. In this case, you've got a kid that's dead. And secondly, you do have the whole concept of what I call general deterrence, the idea that you, you send a message to other people. You say, look, this isn't, this is just not going to be acceptable. 414-799-1620. But that, you know, Jesse articulates the other side of the coin. Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Love Julie. your show. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to disagree with Jesse, and I agree with you. Um, gun safety has gotten out of hand. Um, people are not being safe with loaded firearms in their homes. Uh, too many little kids are getting a hold of loaded firearms. We have to send a message. Yeah. We have well, to send a message. This is a tragedy, and it, it really could have been prevented. Oh, oh, easily. And like I say, this, this is at least from what I'm able to figure out from what they say in the charging documents, this isn't even one that was, was close. I mean, this isn't like, you know, the gun is hidden in a closet and the kids got into the safe or something. This is a, a loaded handgun that's left on a living room shelf, you know, where, where the five-year-old's sitting and watching TV. I mean, who does something like that? I'm sorry. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. We have to protect our children. Right. Now, thanks to call it forward. And that's and it's, it's a horrible situation. It, it, it just is. At the same time, do, do you do nothing? I mean, how 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 do you handle this? I mean, there, there's other kids in the house now, presumably, you know, it would never happen again. But but there's a five year old that's dead as a result of this. Let's talk to Jim in Plymouth. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for talking to me. Sure. Um, my take on this whole thing is if this kid had walked out the door and drowned it in a swimming pool and walked out in front of a car, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But because it's a gun and we got everybody's all up in arms about guns, we're mm-hmm. having this discussion. Well, but okay, so, let me stop you there for a second, though, Jim. I mean, you're, you're not going to suggest to me that it's reasonable to leave a, a a loaded handgun in a position that a five-year-old can un, an unintended five unattended five-year-old can get it and play with it. Are you? No, I'm not. Okay. But if he had left the door open in the patio and the kid had walked out and fell in the swimming pool, the same thing, negligent as heck, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But because it's a gun, we are. Well, I, I but I guess see, th- thanks to call. But I guess I, I, I would argue that there there's a difference between. Okay, there's a difference between a gun and, and a swimming pool. And, and yeah, you're, you're right. If the kid, 
if the kid is playing in the front yard and he dashes out in the street and he gets hit by a car, we, we are in all likelihood not going to be having that, that conversation. But I guess there's a – to me, it, it comes down to this issue of – I'm going to use the word foreseeability. I mean, it's – all right, yeah, yes – if you leave a child unattended playing in the front yard, could they run in the street and could they get hit by a car? Yeah, I guess, guess that's a possibility. But my, but I guess I just see a, a different degree of, of bad stuff potentially happening if you, you leave a loaded handgun out in the area where a five-year-old can get it. And, and yeah, I, I, I do think you, you treat different instrumentalities you know, different, um, differently. And, and I, I think if you're going to have, if you're going to be a gun owner, and I'm a guy who militantly supports the right of people to have firearms, I think with that comes this degree of responsibility. And, you know, part of that responsibility, and again, I don't, I don't want to see the government pass laws saying to you, Jim, for example, that if you're going to have a gun in your house and you, you have to have it locked up. Now, responsible gun owners a lot of times will make that decision. They know if they got small kids around, they'll do it. On the other hand, if it's just, you know, you in the house and there's never kids around, all right, maybe it's a different it's a different factor that, that goes into all this type of stuff. But I guess I look at these on a case-by-case basis, and when I see a story that says you left a loaded Glock with, you know, with one in the chamber and, you know, and nine in the pipe, you know, um, you, know you, you, you left – you left that so that the kids could get access to it. Yeah, I think there needs to be a degree of accountability. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, the plans to redo the Bayshore Town Center are, are moving apace. Uh, Glendale yesterday approved a $37 million financing plan for the Bayshore redevelopment. We've talked about this before, but I don't know if it's going to work or not. And I I have kind of a vested interest in this because I grew up in Glendale and been going to Bayshore Shopping Center and then Bayshore Mall and then Bayshore Town Center since the the mid-1960s. The problem is that uh, old-style shopping malls and town centers that are primarily retail, they're, they're not working anymore. And when I say that the authorities in Bayshore had really very little choice, what was happening is there's all this money that had been fronted to the former developers, and that, that like $57 million, I think, is what Glendale was on the hook for if the developers went belly up and, and, and there was no progress. So this new deal that they've cut, um, the, the old debt gets paid off. And then the villa, the city agrees that what they'll do is they will help through these TIF districts, etc. They will help to fund, you know, the, the new renovations that are there. But they really had no choice because if they didn't, you know, they're going to be out these tens of millions of dollars that had already been advanced. So it's I, I don't know if it's a Hail Mary or not. And I don't know if this is going to be the future of Bayshore Town Center. But I know they're going to try something. And the reality is, if you live in Glendale, you know, Bayshore is I mean, Bayshore is the economic engine around Glendale. And you can't really let it fail without doing everything you possibly can to see it succeed. Color me a little bit skeptical, but I don't think they have any choice right now. So um, there's going to be new construction starting. They're going to start redoing Bayshore Town Center, moving away from the exclusive retail model into more residential and more commercial, more office buildings. Will it work or not? I guess time will tell, but they really did not have much choice. 
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. I'm at this wedding over the weekend, and I was talking to somebody. I forget how we got onto the subject of um, of the D-Day invasions. You know, the anniversary, the 75th anniversary was just, you know, a week or so ago, and we were talking about, you know, Normandy, and we were talking about the commitment of the greatest generation, etc. And we got to talking about whether or not if you had, if something similar happened tomorrow, would would this country unite and, and would people i mean the, the day after pearl harbor i mean you you had you had young men just dropping everything and they were rushing down and they were in, enlisting and and you just you just saw this and we were discussing whether or not if there was some sort of similar sort of thing that lord forbid had befallen the united states would you see that response and i, I think generally our reaction was no i i don't think that you would see that it's just a it's just a different time and you know no matter what would happen you would have i think a, a different view of patriotism etc etc the the us army uh, last year it struggled to meet its end strength goal wanted 483,000 people soldiers and, and they did that even after they spent an extra 200 million dollars on bonuses and even after they lowered their standards to let more recruits in i mean it's 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 a problem getting people to join the military especially in an era where there, there's there's like we're we're getting close to structural unemployment so it, it's not like somebody says well I, I can't get a decent job i i'm going to go into the military to the extent that that ever attracted people right i bring this up because we have not had a draft in this country since uh, pretty much the end of the vietnam war you know, people still have to register for the draft, but we, we don't have a, a draft. There's no forced mandatory service. Now, in contrast, in Israel, for example, with a couple narrow exceptions, all Israeli citizens over the age of 18 are, are conscripted. And for men, Typically, you have to put in two years and eight months of military service. Um, sometimes it can be an extra four months. Um, for women, it's two years. You, you, you have – there are very, very narrow exceptions. But most Israeli young men and young women, they go into the military. There is mandatory public service. I bring this up because one of the candidates that's going to be featured at the Democratic debates, um, it's Mayor Pete. Uh, the the mayor, um, what is it, Budagig, I think is how you pronounce it. He's a Navy veteran. He's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And one of the ideas that he is, believe it or not, floating on the campaign trail is the idea of mandatory, legally um, required, mandatory national service for every American. What he says is he says, look, I'm – I'm concerned about the the lack of social cohesion we have in the United States. One thing we could do to change that would make it legally oblig- obligatory for anybody after they they are 18 to spend a year in national service. So he's kind of vague. That obviously would include the military. And he's kind of vague as to whether that could be expanded to programs like AmeriCorps or something like that. But the idea would be you turn 18, and just like in Israel, you know, you're, you're doing, in that case, it's two or three years of, 
of military service, every American, one year, mandatory of national service. Most likely it would be the military, but, you know, it could perhaps be expanded to other sorts of things. Now, obviously, there's going to be certain exceptions for medical things and perhaps some religious objections and stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is this would this would say, all right, you know, we're going to have we're going to have this commonality. And once you turn 18, you're going to be expected to for a year. All right. Do something for the service of this country. Most likely military. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this in just a couple minutes, but this is one of these that I am very, very curious to hear your reaction. What do you think? Should we, I don't know, move closer to what Israel does and has and has always done? And that is you turn 18, all right, one year mandatory national service military maybe it's like a peace corps or something too but most likely military would that be good would it work would american youth respond to that or i don't know would we create another generation of people who want to draw, dodge the draft and head up to to canada 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line and interestingly this is one of the democrat candidates for president who's kind of floating this idea out there one-year mandatory national service. I'll tell you where I come down, but what do you think about that? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am so very glad to have you spending your Tuesday afternoon with me. Ari in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hello, Jeff. This is Ari Porsche. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, sir. Okay, Israel requires conscription of everybody when they turn 18. Would something like that work in the U.S.? Well, here's the thing, Jeff. If you don't know any, uh, a little bit about the Israeli draft law, I think the basis behind it is not per se because of any sort of social construct, but because there's a lot of foes that Israel faces day in and yes. day out, and there's a lot of protection they need. I feel, however, when it comes to something that people others would like to propose, that I can imagine that would backfire just due to the fact that everyone in the country, citizens alike, would say, we understand that social cohesion is important, but who says that you have to enforce it on us? Right. So, I mean, the the idea being, if you had large groups of eighteen-year-olds who said, I, "I I don't I don't want to go into the military, or I don't want to do Peace Corps work, or I don't want to do I don't know road work, building something in in Tennessee or whatever," it would be very difficult to enforce that. Is what you're saying? Right. I mean, even if, even if they were to be successful in terms of making something mandatory, I can't imagine that the um, that the, what's it called, the successes and the, the positivity coming out from it would be so high. Right. It would probably be more of a resentment, more of a regime, more of a dictatorship. I mean, obviously, right. that would be different because America has different ideas, but I can't imagine that that would be something that would be eventual. But the idea sounds, sounds nice. I mean, it sounds like something that in a perfect world could eventually become something. That's but it works in Israel because of the different you know, defense challenges that Israel faces and the relative population size versus a country like the U.S., is your point. Right. Got it. No, thanks for going for it. That's very valid. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Karen on the east side. Hi, Karen. Hello. Hello. Um, I'm calling because I have two nephews. I, I think that Germany does something similar to Israel. Either you go into the military or you do community service. Uh, both of my nephews, when they turned 18, 
despite the fact that their father was in the military, opted to do community service. They were trained just like CNAs are trained here. And they spent a year working with elderly or being a caregiver. One Mm -hmm. was a caregiver for a young man who was severely handicapped. And I do believe that, you know, service to the country is a good thing, and it doesn't have to be the military. Would it work? Um... In the U.S. And, and by the way, I was, while, while you were talking, I was looking. Germany, I, my understanding is they, they, the story I found said they used to do that. They knocked, they stopped doing that after about six years ago. Oh, really? Well, yeah, my nephews are in their 30s. Okay, yeah. They, it, it said, I mean, the, the story I found, because I, I didn't know that one way or the other, it said that in Germany they used to have compulsory service. It was six months, I, I think is what it said, but it, but they stopped it in 2011. So I, they, they, but they used to do it, to, to your point. Do you think it would work in the U.S.? Um, I think so. I mean, it would certainly be a community building type of thing, and for certain kids that are getting out of school and don't have any direction, especially if they got some training to do some help yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in the community service area, I it might be a bonus for them also. Yeah. And, well, it, right. It, it, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I mean here's a, I have a, a, a t- an email from, from one of our listeners, Thomas. I'm 100% behind Mayor Pete's proposal for mandatory service. From 1963 to 1966, I spent three years in the U.S. Army. It helped me realize that there was a much wider and more complicated world than the one I grew up in uh, during the 40s and 50s in Appleton, Wisconsin. I guess I, I told you where I'd come down on this. I think in theory, just like our first caller, Ari, I think in theory it sounds like it's a great idea. It it, it does. And it's the idea of, okay, you know, you as sort of as a price of citizenship, you know, this is your way of giving something back to the country. And it doesn't automatically have to be, hey, you know, you're, you're going to go into the military and carry a rifle. It, it could be in, like I say, a, a form of a Peace Corps or something like this or, or working on, you know, helping rebuild the American infrastructure. Those things are great. I just think as a practical matter in America in 2019, if you tried to do something like this, there would be such a youth quake, such a revolt, because I I just don't think this is where – I don't think this is where young people in America are nowadays with the idea that, you know, we're – we are. We're going to all come together, and we're going to give up our life, a year of our life, to to do this. World War Two was different. You know, World War Two, you had this, you know, defined enemy, and you know, here we're we're going to defend our country, and you know, we're going to go away, and we might, in case some cases, we might be sent overseas, we might not see our family and our loved ones for for several years. That was a different time, and and maybe. Maybe this is what happened with the Vietnam War and the whole notion of, you know, the people in the country turning against it and all. But I guess I, I think if if you tried to do something like this as a practical matter today, I mean, I think what would happen is you would have people you would have riots in the streets again. And and you would have and it's interesting this proposal is coming from a, a Democrat, a Navy veteran, but a Democrat because my guess is that the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders and particularly, you know, that wing of the Democrat Party would say, Hey, th- this is nothing but warmongers. We're not going to allow you to conscript our children, you know, to use this for some other unjust war overseas. I'm not saying I believe that to be the case. I'm just saying I think that's what the argument would be. Linda in West Bend. Hi, Linda. You're on WTMJ. Hi. I'm um, excited that he's bringing this forward. 
I think it would be a higher percentage of people doing things other than the military. Sure. The type of government service, like you said, AmeriCorps, I think it should be two years. I think everybody should be placed outside of their home state. I think it would put everybody on a level playing field, teach people skills, show them other ways of life. Um, I, I think it's a great idea. What do you think the reaction would be among uh, among the, the, the rank and file? I mean, among, among kids who are 15 and 16 and 17 and turning 18, if you said, okay, you know, you're, you're not going to college right away or you're not going to work, you, you are going into some form of government service. Do you, do you think that would be willing or would we have riots in the streets? I think it would depend on how it was portrayed and brought forward. I think with the millennials, they're a little more in tune with, you know, helping out the country, helping out the planet, helping out each other. I think there's a way that you could spin it that you wouldn't have the riot. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, we're we're okay, Linda. We're going to take you, and you know, you're going to leave home, and we're going to relocate you, and you're going to spend the next two years in. I don't know, Apple Jam turnaround Mississippi or something. I, I'm, I'm trying right. to... <laughs> I have kids, too. Yeah. I have older kids, and I have a 10-year-old. I'd be fine at 18 Yeah. he had to either listen in the military or do some type of government service away from home. Well, I, I appreciate... Great idea. No, thanks. For, I, and again, I, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to the merits of it. I, I do think as a practical matter, and, and feel free, like I say, to disagree... I just don't think this is where the mindset of America is nowadays. And I think if you tried to seriously float something like this, you'd get very, very little support, especially among politicians who would would see ulterior motives. Oh, what we're trying to do is just we're trying to you know militarize uh, America, and this is just another backdoor draft. And a lot of people were saying, you know, the civil libertarian saying, hey, you shouldn't be able to force people to have to do this for their country. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. I think as a practical matter, though, a non-starter. But an interesting conversation. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.